Blog Talk Radio. There was a time I was so afraid, so scared to do what I wanted. In looking back, I can see all the mistakes that I made, and I wish that I Talk to me and tell me I can change. Don't be afraid. Just walk with your head up high. Don't be afraid. Just take it one step at a time. Don't give up on your dreams, no matter how small. Hi, welcome to Blog Talk Radio, Safe Recovery. This is Monica, and I'm your host. Today is November 8th, 2011. So I am here with my dear friend and uh, fantastic actor, animated actor, actor, Billy West. You're too kind. That's quite a big drum roll for me. Yeah. No, we don't need that. By the way, what was that song? Oh, that's my song. Yeah, it's beautiful. Thank you, thank you. It's um, I wrote that song. it's it was making me feel serene. Cool. Which is a key word. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, for uh, for a lot of people, you know, it's like you think you want like the soul. Yeah. And serenity. Right. Kind of that's they look for each other. Right. Because the soul doesn't want money. The soul doesn't want love or any other thing that we feel like we need. The soul wants meaning. And I find a lot of meaning in being serene. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So you look a lot of serene, you know. So hi everybody out there. I see we have uh, there's Gunther out there. Hi Gunther. Hi Amy. So happy to see you out there and some other guests. Um, and we are going to do a show. Billy's going to talk. Uh, for those of many of you who do know him, uh, he's got his own show, Futurama, and he's done lots of other shows. I did a show, Doug, which was one of my favorites when my son was little. But we're actually not here to talk about that unless Billy wants to talk about it. But um, we, I knew that Billy had stopped drinking, yes. right? Uh, 26 years ago. Right. Um, I had been drinking, you know, like, oh, I guess it started on weekends like everybody else in high school. I was a late bloomer, though. I had a very strange and rotten childhood, and I was always a little old man my whole life since I was a little kid. I was worried about the irresponsible and crazy adults. Oh, God. I felt like a caretaker. Oh, no. Even at seven years old. Oh, that's terrible. And I was the man of the house officially at ten years old because my father was certifiable, crazy. My mom left him in 63 and took three boys with her, myself, my uh, second youngest brother, and then my my brother Jack, Mm -hmm. uh, who's just such a great guy, and I got my eye on him. We lost the middle brother, Joe. Really? Yeah, he was bipolar. He had Mm -hmm. a zillion problems, uh, and alcoholism was one of them. Mm -hmm. But uh, he he had other things keeping him from focusing. You know, he'd only stay sober for X amount of months and then snap. Yeah. And uh did he ever get like mental health or maybe he's not a really now for he, people that helps him that I know, but back then there was just like uh lithium. Right, there was just lithium and lobotomies or clonopen. Oh god. Yeah, and feel good anine. You know, I don't know what they what they were taking, but yeah. uh So what brought you to um to stop? How did you stop? Oh, it uh it was a real uh doozy. I uh Let's see. I started drinking, yeah, like when I was about 18, 19. And then at 21, I went crazy. I went berserker because I was free to do what I wanted. I was in a band. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I didn't go to college. Yeah, by the way, Billy is a great singer and a fabulous songwriter and awesome guitar player. Thank you. Billy's record is 
your record on? Can people buy your record? I think yeah, it's on um, iTunes or something like that. What's the name of your record? Me Pod. Me Pod by Billy West. Yes. My dog is out there. I think I have to take him outside. No, it's okay. He's cool. Yeah. You know, he, he might need the, so the advice <laughs> that we're going to talk about. You know, just don't give him a like a. a I'm going to go give him a bone. No, don't give him a dish full of like pale ale or something. You know. <laughs> We'll send him to the log cabin. But uh, okay. I was going to say, the, the thing got so out of control after a couple of decades. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did go nuts at 21, and that's when I had my childhood. Except I was overcompensating like Wait. crazy. Did you go to college then? No. No, you didn't. No, I actually spent a semester at the Berkeley School of Music in Boston after high school, but it was not accredited as a college. Yeah, really? Yeah, that's a great place. <laughs> so I used to go there. I'd have an armload of music books and my guitar and... Uh, one day I just said to myself, you know what, I don't want to sit around and talk about it. I want to go do it. Yeah. So I just dropped out and, and hit the road with a band, and I played all over the place. and You know, not, nothing famous or, or anything like that, but it was my whole life. Right. And it was fun mm-hmm. in those days. Um, you know, the drinking was sort of kind of a part of the scene. It wasn't the entire picture. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Later on, it becomes that ultimately. Right. Um, because people who drink and drink and drink, there's no future. They don't think in terms of the future. There's certainly not a now because yeah. it's so clouded. How can right. you know what end is up? So you always think back in the past. You always live in the past when you're drunk. Yeah, I, I when I was going across the country a few times, I never drank when I traveled across the country. Like no? Knew, no, no, I didn't drink then. I just knew that it would, could be deadly if I did that. Well, me and my bass player, both uh, tin horn shanty Irishmen, <laughs> um, you know, found uh, solace in Madame Bottle right away, uh, which is the drug of Irish poets, you know, depending on what alcohol, you, what flavor it is, you know. But uh, Yeah, the Irish love to drink. Well, it's not that they love to drink. I think they might have a predisposition for it. Plus, it was... It's part of the culture, you know, like they say there was these bardic oozers and these, yeah. these, uh, you know, they could, they could be like the bard when they spoke. Yeah. And they'd be full of fire and, and alcohol, and it was like, it was almost like one needed the other mm-hmm. as your inspiration. Mm-hmm. But uh, I drank just to get drunk. I didn't like the taste. I didn't like the journey on the way to being drunk. I just wanted to be as drunk as, and as fast as I could. Yeah. And maybe so it might have been easier than when you quit. Was it was it easy for you when you stopped? Well, what stopped me was um, in 1985, I was playing in a band, and I was also working in radio in the early, early mornings, and I wouldn't go to bed half the time. Mm-hmm. I would just stay up after playing. We played like four, three and four nights a week uh, outside of Boston. And uh, We have some Boston listeners out there. Do you? Hi, yeah. Boston. Yeah, we do. We have some uh, Gunthers from uh, Boston outside of there. Oh, Gunther, yeah. Gunther, yeah. I, uh, Hi, sweetie. Somebody. Oh, that is so cute, Carolyn. How did you make that little face? Who's the that. sweetie for you or me? Uh, I don't know. Yeah. Sweet, who's sweetie, Carolyn? Is it for Billy West or for me? And Kenneth Anderson has logged in. He's from Hamtown Reduction. So anyway, you were saying that. No, it's um, interesting. I'm looking at everybody's name here. Isn't that cool? It's yeah. Like talk and, uh, so um, what stopped me is I'd be driving home from this job every night and I wasn't anywhere near the end of my active alcoholic career mm-hmm. or drug career. I was also cross addicted to yeah. uh, cocaine, mm-hmm. so I was high voltage. 80s I was cocaine. no fun. Yeah. Not fun. You know, I'd be fun up to a certain point, and then I'd cross. You know, where it's like an old cartoon. You know, where it said Technicolor ends here, <laughs> and I would go into this black, like almost. Uh, oh, I don't know, sepia tone. <laughs> I would dream in sepia tone. Wow. It was so barren. Oh my God. It was devoid of color and black and white. Wow. It was like brown dreams, I called them. It was <laughs> Coke. So um, I was driving home, and I used to drive home at uh, 110, 120 miles an hour. Mm-hmm. Smashed out of my mind. Oh my God. And I would t- play, I would tickle the dragon's tail. Wow. Because once you start going that fast, I don't recommend anyone ever does it. Yeah. But what I notice is time slows down the faster you move. In other words, the scenery is going by, and it appears to be slow motion. Really? And you look at the, the speedometer, and it's 110. Oh, my God. And, and you, you say, like smash completely drunk? Yes, and I yeah. said, look at this. Yeah. It's like balancing an egg on your finger. Oh. All I have to do is 
move the wheel an eighth of an inch one way or the other, and I'll wind up in a ravine, yeah. smashed to 10,000 yeah. pieces. Yeah, but see, the thing was is there was a little bit of a self-hatred thing going on, and there was mm-hmm. part of me that the alcohol and coke highlighted about the weakest parts of myself, the, the erodible and eroded parts of me. Mm-hmm. Um, it certainly doesn't do any good for whatever strengths you have left mm-hmm. that were instilled in you early on. Right. But uh, I did it. I fell asleep one night, and what woke me up was the sound of the solid guardrail of the Massachusetts Turnpike wow. going uh, going east. It was east and west, and I flipped the car over that guardrail and onto the west side going out where I came from. And the car was upside down on its roof. Mm -hmm. The wheels were still spinning, and Mm -hmm. there was, like, smoke coming from that, the gas tank, you know. And um, the whole front end, the whole front end was crushed. And this was, like, one of those big, fat cars that had a big front, a 40 lead. So you had seatbelts then by then, right? No. No, No, I didn't wear them. No. Wow. I somehow got pinned in there, and the front end of the car came squashing up like an accordion, and I think like part of the motor mount or something, some of the ga- uh, some of the uh, guts of the car were coming through like under the seat and all that, and mm-hmm. I should have been killed. And I'm, I'm glad and, you weren't. and I got out of there. I found I got my guitar case out of the back seat with the <laughs> Your guitar, guitar in was it. Okay. Yeah. Oh shit. Yeah, I had to get that, but I I was out. On the expressway, and a cop comes up, and he says, uh, before I arrest you, I just want you to know that I've been working out here nights for about 12 years. And he said, and every time we see somebody like you mm-hmm. or a situation like this, you know, we show up with plastic bags and shovels oh to scoop what's left of you, that red pudding out of the front seat. Oh, God. That's you? Yeah, right. And I was just smiling with this shitty and drunken grin. I'm sure he wanted to kill me. Mm-hmm. So he read me the rights. I spent the night in the Weston Police Barracks. They were state police, Mass- mm-hmm. Massachusetts State Police. Mm-hmm. And I got up the next day, and somehow I got home. Mm-hmm. I just don't remember. I knew the car was gone. I wasn't even going to look for it. And it's okay. And uh, so, um, you know, I went right back the next day. And and realize, you know, it was like I felt like, look, if I was meant to be killed, yeah, I would have been killed. Right. If that didn't do it, nothing will. You get in, you know, what it is you go from like a lower self-esteem to this invulnerability. Yeah. Invulnerable. Because you're very much into magical thinking suddenly when reality don't work for you. Yeah, but they prove it now that that alcohol actually that's the first part that it it, it sort of takes away is that part of the brain that makes reasoning decision reasonable decisions. Yeah, no so, means yes and yes means no and um you know, and so I felt empowered by that. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess nothing can really hurt me, so I was unafraid. And then I had been driving around. I was driving behind the wheel of a car I wasn't supposed to be in, and uh, I got stopped by the police. Mm-hmm. And they said, uh, you're uh, you're going in. And I thought, going in? Like, where am I going? Yeah. And they, they brought me to the Boston um Oh, what was it? It was the Charles Street Jail. Mm-hmm. It was a pissy, smelly, 200- or 300-year-old Bastille wow. that had been there really? since the early days. In Boston? Like in Boston. Boston. Yes, big, huge granite. You, you know, know where that is, Gunther? Yeah, it's right in the back bay. Mm-hmm, he probably does. It's down near, uh, you know, Crescent Street and the courthouse and all that jazz. But uh, now it's condos. It's luxury condos, but I'm still Billy from the block, you know, (laughs) block seven. I wonder what vibes are over there in those luxury condos. I don't know, but... 300 years. I don't know, but they... Like a cleanse over there, you know. (laughs) You know, it doesn't matter what you do. I I hear on a really hot summer night, you can still smell like piss. Somewhere coming from somewhere over there. Yeah, two hundred yeah, year old right. fish. Right, it's just like it's it, it, it's in the water. My dog is like scratching at the door. It's okay. Know. It's okay. Yeah, no, it's okay. No, I this makes it fun. It's like because I feel there's this sense of urgency. I got to be on my toes because the dog wants to get in and bite me. Yeah, no, actually, was like Billy. Okay, so so yeah, so that didn't stop me. Yeah. So uh, you know, going to jail that night, and I had to go to court the next morning. Mm-hmm. 
And so I go to court, and all day long, they didn't call my name. They didn't call my name. It's getting to be 5 o'clock almost, and I go, I guess I didn't make the list or some yeah. something like that. And this judge, he was a hanging judge. He's crabby. He had the little bifocals that he right. had down the end of his nose, <laughs> and his name was Judge Humana. And he looked at me, and he and I was living in the South End at the time, and my magical thinking led me to think that it's outrageous for someone to ask you to pay rent for a place to live. I wouldn't pay it. I wow. said, imagine the nerve of someone charging you money to live somewhere. Oh, my God, yeah. yeah. You know, and I know it, people are probably laughing, but, yeah. but people who have lived this have had those ridiculous thoughts. Like, you'll do anything to rationalize your your active uh, addict or, or alcoholic career. So uh, I went yeah. to this court, and the guy was looking down his nose at me at the end of the day, and he goes, I don't know about this uh, drinking and driving, but you're doing uh, seven days in Charles Street for non-payment of rent as well. Mm-hmm. They had called the blown the whistle on me. Right, right. You know, and then reality kind, kind of caved in, come caving in, and I said, well, so when do I go? And it was like, no, yeah. you're going now. Wow. And they're, you know, right to start sentencing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was a week there. Right. You know, the longest week of my life. It was the first seven days in probably my adult life that I was sober or without a drink. But we, you find out that passing out is not sleep. And all we ever did was pass out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Guys like me. and right. uh, You didn't know what real sleep was. Mm-hmm. And and I was, like, frazzled when I was in that jail. I was bouncing off the walls because I had to go through this transition of, like, it's over. Were you drinking heavily then and doing coke, or was it all alcohol? Both. Yeah, yeah. You know, I remember in the end for me when I quit, I, I mean, I did quit. I had a really hard time sleeping. And I did have the shakes, like, really bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I had stopped using all drugs um You know, I mean, I was a pot smoker, but uh, it was really hard to sleep for about a month. And yeah. then, it, then it transitioned, you know. Yeah, because so your body you, is yeah. trying to figure out what the hell's going on. Is mm-hmm. it gonna? Is your body gonna pre- be prepared to be this empty, hollow shell mm-hmm. for another mm-hmm. night while you're passed out mm-hmm. and not do its job properly? Right. Your organs can't function properly when mm-hmm. you're passed out. No, no, no. So, um, so <clears throat> it's great, and I spent the week there. I didn't get bothered by anybody, but they had some hard hardcore people in there, and. Uh, the week was over. I went back to court. The guy was happy. I had vacated the apartment right. and uh, went to uh, live with a friend of mine until I got on my feet. And all I had was a bag of dirty clothes and a cat. Mm-hmm. I used to steal for the cat. <laughs> I, I didn't have enough food for myself, but I would make sure I did a, a sweep of a grocery store, you know, shoving bags of shrimp down my pants and, oh. <laughs> you know, and then buy a Slim Jim. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, uh... And the cat never went without because I couldn't. I had to feed her. Wow. It was a dependent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, this is all I had. So I had the dirty clothes, the bag, and uh, the cat. And I went to live with a guy I met at AA meetings. Mm-hmm. And he was a very, very nice guy. As a matter of fact, he used to work at the radio station that I worked at. Mm-hmm. And I went back there to work, and I was a little thinner. I was seemed a little more grounded. I was a little serious, but I could cut up on cue. Right. You know, right. act out and yeah. be, be comedic because mm-hmm. it was uh, it was live radio. Mm-hmm. And uh, we did a live segment where I always got to play some kind of a character. Mm-hmm. And um, But I was infused with sobriety. Where I was sent was this, I guess it was a nut house for all intents and purposes, <laughs> over in Belmont, Massachusetts, and it was called McLean's Hospital. And I had a couple of... Uh, affectionate names for it. One was the Macadamia Manor, and the other one was the Cashew Farm. And uh, But it was no joke. You know, I got in there, and I'm, I'm a quick study. Yeah. I got it. Mm-hmm. I got it. And then when I got out of there, um, I was infused with sobriety. I went to meetings every night. By the way, when I was in there, and I hate to break people's anonymity, but Stephen Tyler was there when I was there, and so was uh, Rick James. <laughs> Rick James. Rick James. So, um, you know, that just says, well, if you're going to clean up, that was the place to go. Mm -hmm. That was sort of the end thing. Yeah, so Mm -hmm. I started doing every meeting there was. You know, I would look them up where they were going to happen. Mm -hmm. Um, Regular meetings, there was the uh, 
the particular uh, restaurant after hours meeting or whenever they closed after dinner, like 8 o'clock, there'd be a meeting. And, and uh, you know, hi, my name is Billy. Hi, Billy. And I'm grateful to be here. And, you know, and and the, the whole drill with AA. But I, I went to every meeting, like I said, and one of them was in the gay part of town. And it was uh, not AA. They called it gay A. I didn't care. I just wanted to be at every meeting I could get to. Mm -hmm. I figured it might be the best thing to have a little structure at Mm -hmm. first. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was a hoot, you know. I mean, the other meetings were a little bit kind of serious, and there were guys that were being dramatic, like they were doing a David Mamet monologue, you know. They'd get up there and speak, you know, my my name's Eddie. And hi, Eddie, and I'm an addict. Yeah, yeah, an addict. You, You know, more of that than alcohol okay like they were somehow on a different plateau yeah like they were better than you yeah but the guy would be pacing and working the stage like um <laughs> like <laughs> eric Bo- eric eric <laughs> no eric bogosian you know it'd be like uh ask me if i'm grateful to be here <laughs> none of you's got the balls do you you know that i'm not grateful to be here and that's why nobody's fucking saying anything <laughs> you know this drama this braggado not braggadocio bravado and this yeah, yeah. you know this heavy kind of theatrics along with uh, coming there for help. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, I'm, I'm sure it was like preemptive strike because the guy, guys like that don't want to feel weak like that they've been brought to their knees. Mm-hmm. And so they certainly don't act like it. Right. And they tell you the horror stories of heroin addiction. And horror is horror. I don't care what you're going through. Mm-hmm. You know, if you have to drink, I mean, if you drink like five pitchers of sugar water a day and you're addicted to it, Horror is horror, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and and it all comes from the same place, no matter whose story is what or how drastic or how deep or involved. Mm-hmm. It's all relative in that realm, if you ask me. How long did you go for? How'd you go, how long did you go to meetings for? Um, about a year. Mm-hmm. And then I saw one of my friend's uh, sponsors, and I thought that the guy was a little too involved in the in his life, you know, he was marriage counseling him and then giving him advice about the wife he was about to divorce and, mm-hmm. you know, almost kind of telling him what to do. Yeah, what did you think about and him? And I'd say, Richard, don't you think, you know, you uh, should be kind of putting this together by yourself? I mean, he's not a family member. You know, he's no significant other. I mean, he's a sponsor. And maybe if you're really out of people in your life, you've abused every person <laughs> or burned every bridge. No, no. So, <laughs> so um, this guy was like talking crazy talk, and then he met me, and he realized, hey, he's in media because I was in radio. Yeah. So he was trying to impress me with what mm-hmm. he knew, and he had this idea. The sponsor for, or the guy? The sponsor. Yeah, of course. Mm-hmm. He, he, he had a uh, he had a he had an idea for a worldwide telecast broadcast. Uh, radio simulcast of yeah, music mm-hmm. around the world where everybody would be listening to the same thing, the same message at the same time about hope. And, you know, it, had, it was a little, you know, AA flavored. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then he started going, we'll start in Abu Dhabi. What? And then we'll link, down link to, you know, it was like talking delusions of grandeur. Yeah. And I'm in the my friend's living room, mm-hmm. my roommate at the time, who took me in. Right. And I listened to this guy, and I said, this guy's got rocks in his head. He's <laughs> out of his ever-loving mind. Mm-hmm. And and to see this grandeur coming out of a sponsor mm-hmm. of somebody that I knew yeah. was in a vulnerable place, right. newly sober. He was newly sober, too. Yeah, yeah and, wow. and here's like a, what to me seemed like, uh, you know, a nut. Mm-hmm. How long was he sober, the sponsor? Um, sponsor, that's unknown. Yeah, okay. he was kind of a gad about. He was kind of like you know in and out of everybody's business. And, mm-hmm. But I think to people like that, it's an opportunity to kind of become not just a mentor, but almost like where someone else might become dependent on them. Mm-hmm. And the guy was screwed up. I knew from looking him, looking all five foot three of them, mm-hmm. you know that that he uh, had control issues. And you know, I was always good at that. Whether I was drunk or sober, I could suss out people in like 13 seconds flat. All mm-hmm. I had to do was take a good look and hear of something. And I would profile yeah, them. Yeah, right. And and it's like it comes natural with the territory, you being an actress as well, mm-hmm. and me acting and voice acting. Um, 
you're you're like a born observer. Mm-hmm. And the reason I had this intense observation is because I was hypervigilant as a child. Mm-hmm. I knew that my life or death hinged on what was the sound of the car in the driveway when my dad pulled up. Right. Am I going to get dad A mm-hmm. or am I going to get dad B? Yeah. Who is he going to be? And yeah. I could tell by the sound of the key in the door. In other words, I could hear from up the street whether mm-hmm. I was in danger or not. Right. That's a good point. I mean, I actually had a father like that, too. Like, if I came in at, like, say when I was 12 or 13, if I was five minutes late, he would get up and cross and whack me and knock me down. And other times I would be late and be like, oh, here she is. Hi. You know, he would be sitting in that his big chair with a cigar and a drink. And sometimes he was so funny and so much fun. And other times he, you know, would get up and, you know, knock me down. Yes. So, I mean, I know your experience with the mind. But, I mean, think of all these drastic uh, manic messages you're getting from a parental figure. Mm -hmm. This Mm -hmm. is the person, this is the big person in your life. And whether you love him or hate him, when you're a little kid, you don't have the power to strike back. Right. And then you can't believe when you wake up the next day and here's this new person, <laughs> what they did. And your mind has a real problem negating a nightmare. But still, so in other words... What, They're laughing at you, Billy. I mean, they like what you're saying. You're but but the thing about it well, is okay. you become surreal. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. You That's tune nightmare. out when you hear yeah. someone yelling at you. You're like... you you. Not men, uh, not physically. You stay physically where you are, but spiritually and mentally, you're off in Elysian fields, barefoot. Right. You're out the door, out that window. I used to look out the door and window when somebody was yelling at me, and I was gone. I was not there. Did you ever do a cartoon where that, <clears throat> that stuff, you know, that you're talking about now, you used in that? Or? I've drawn on every mm-hmm. experience in life, every person I met. Um, for anybody who who is addicted or drunk or or stopped both of the things or one of them, I wanted to say that um, it's it's this horrible burden. And, And what I learned was that if you're on the run, stop running. If you're holding up a house, that's going to drop on you if you if you even falter let it drop on you don't don't assume these horrible burdens because you will always feel pressurized um quitting and staying quit was not so hard for me i didn't white knuckle it out because i always felt for over i always felt bad for overeaters because you know to uh you have to eat you can't not eat and if that's your drug I said, how horrible is that? But you don't need to drink to live. Right. There's millions who don't drink. I was kind of surprised how many Muslims. I guess there's, you know, mil- I don't know the number. It would be interesting, but, you know, think, yeah. But can I tell you, wherever you sit out there, whatever stage of, of your your life you're in, or whether it's bad or good or getting better or getting worse, understand this, that when you make it, when you beat this stuff and you become the person you were meant to be and not the one that is impaired, you know, by just stuff. We all make mistakes. And and these are tough mistakes to make. I mean, because a lot of this stuff comes from childhood. If you're just running around getting drunk and doing drugs, you're self-medicating. But you're not touching the bare wires that cause those symptoms. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's horrible to have to touch bare wires of what it really yes. is. Yes, and you know what? I, I, I think one of the reasons that I did stop, you just totally triggered a memory. I see we have a caller in the queue, if we want to take it or not. But okay. Is that I felt crazy. Like, in the end, I really, I, lim- I, I stopped smoking any pot, like, months and months before I went to Hawaii. I didn't, I mean, I tried a very v- variety of drugs that I didn't really like. Mm-hmm. LSD maybe I liked a little more. Right. And then I remembered alcohol, that, oh, my alcohol calms me. Alcohol makes me feel sane. And then by the time I got to Hawaii... Uh, I was drinking these large glasses, like these water glasses of just full of straight liquor that my father took me to the market and bought me whatever I wanted, and I was like 17 turning 18. And when I drank, it it actually stopped working so that my head kept going. And mm-hmm. then the level of, of what, we, don't, we didn't even use the word stress back then, but there was this, I'm sure it was anxiety, but I felt crazy. 
and I couldn't stop it. And the more I drank, like, and then, and that's kind of when I just said, you know what? I don't want to do anything. I mean, I had a terrible drunk, and then I was like, that's it. I'm fucking done, you know. But, but what I, about the bare wires part? You know, when you start living without substances, it, you begin to remember why it was so attractive to you. Right, right. Because so, right. life uh-huh. in some part of your head was unlivable. And yeah. you didn't want to go into that attic. You, you That's just, right. You hid the key. That's right, You Billy. did not want to go up there because right. it's like, don't go in the attic. Right, right. You don't want to know. And if you let that id out, he's going to wreak havoc with the rest of you. Right. So let's talk about for you. I mean, my experience, it was, I got sober so young. But what happened to you then, you know, with that? What helped it, you know? Uh, mm. Mm. Um, well, I got it. I never went back to it. Mm-hmm. Um, all I had to do was keep remembering how hot hell was because it's easy to forget. The brain uh, doesn't like to remember pain. Mm-hmm. The brain will only remember what was good about the pain, right. the, the, the doing of the drug or the drinking of the drink. That's yeah, what the yeah. brain wants to remember and associate it with a good time. Mm-hmm. It doesn't want to to remind you how much pain you, you were in, but you have to hearken back always to how hot hell was. Like, mm-hmm. why did I put myself in that much jeopardy? Mm-hmm. Why did I? Why was I so messy in public? Did I need to help so bad that I would just dump my mess on anybody's doorstep, yeah. which I used to do, uh, because I was begging for somebody to pick me up and carry me off to, you know, some sort of uh, place. Yeah, well, your childhood was really rough, Billy. So I mean, I well, I was that, molested. Yeah sexually by both sexes before I was 10 years old. Oh, my God. And that was my introduction to the world. Actually, my introduction entree was um, my mom told my dad that she was pregnant with me, and uh, he was smashed out of his mind, and he he beat her up and tried to kick her stomach in, and he didn't want any part of me because that meant it was grow-up time for him. And he did not want that... And so, I mean, later on in life, he tried to kill me a bunch of times, you know. Right. Oh, my God. Um, yeah, it's really... So so I didn't know how to feel. Right. Uh, what Music, I lived in music. The kind of music that was around were soundtracks and things. And the darker the soundtrack, mm-hmm. the more I was attracted to what it. What do you like? What were some of the Bernard Herrmann. Mm-hmm. It's all subharmonics and low bass, like Journey to the Center of the Earth and oh, oh, Fahrenheit yeah. 451, yeah, yeah. and uh, all the movies he did. Mm-hmm. And he always had these dark Hades kind of, and I was attracted to that. You know oh, why? No, no. Well, yeah, but, but I was attracted to it only because I could not feel anything. I couldn't feel happy, and I felt ex- absolutely nothing at times. And so to feel anxiety mm-hmm. or or deep depression or sadness yeah. felt better than feeling nothing. Now, is this you're not drinking for like a year? Yes. Or two. Is this then? Yeah, yeah, but I but I started to get on the good side. But what I wanted to mention, because these stories go on and on forever. I mean, I I can't talk for an hour. You I can't even talk for two hours. Okay. If you want to talk for five hours, I could do that. Oh. But but um, I wanted to say for everybody that's uh, listening to this, um, I started to say, wherever you are in your your career or your life or if you don't have a job or you do and life is bad or whether life is getting better, if you're involved with substances, all I can tell you is when you get out from that dark, rainy tunnel, I don't know how it rains in a tunnel, but in alcoholic terms it does, and you see some sun and you get out in it and you feel like you've you've gotten past it and that you're going to keep... You're going to keep remembering where you were. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and uh, But just remember that if you hadn't done all those things, like if I hadn't done all these crazy-ass things, I wouldn't be sitting here with you mm-hmm. and you with me. It was like whatever's done is done. It had to happen to you because all we are, we're the total, the sum total of our our combined experiences, mm-hmm. all of them that happened to us. That's why you sit where you sit right now. Mm-hmm. Um, when, uh, so at what point did you stop going to meetings? Like how many years? Because I know that you you don't. I was about a year in. Yeah. And I just felt like it had served its purpose. Now that for a while you're unpulling Yeah, um, I felt like it served its purpose. You know, I'd been to every type of meeting, and then. uh, This is only one year. He went for one year. Yes. Yeah. But, but, but people are people, and there are people who are working on their flaws, 
but sometimes their flaws spill outside of the the outline of their body and and I was attracting needy people because I in my mind I said I want to win. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, I'm not going to die here and I'm not going to die today. Just I don't want that. I started to like life too much to leave. Mm-hmm. And I had wasted two decades. Yeah. So I've been sober uh, 26 or 27 years now. I can't even remember. Um, but I'm 60 now. Mm-hmm. And wow. and I was sober longer than I was drunk. And, yeah. you know, I mean, if these things hadn't happened, I wouldn't have had the career I had. I wouldn't, you know, like win, lose, or draw. Mm-hmm. It is what it is. You got what you got, and you play the hand that's dealt you, and hopefully... You'll be able to walk out of there, you know, uh, not broke, not wiped out. Right, right. I think um, for myself, there were um, maybe in 15 years into being sober, uh, that was a really hard approach for me to look at. Exactly what you're saying, you know, that what happened to me, and I started to do therapy um, because it was so painful. I was really going far back to, you know, when I too was molested, and it, you know, what I realized. Oh, sounds like somebody's here, and uh, um, but. Through that work, I was able to to heal, and it was a lot of work that I did in therapy. And what happened for me is, then I went to meetings, and I realized that these things that were in the book um, that I really disagreed with. That was my first. Unlike you, where you were like one year and you went on and lived your life. You know, I mean, I'm so jealous, but not really because I'm not jealous. But I stayed for whatever reasons. I was so hooked in. Well, to, you know what it is? is a lot yeah. of people need structure. Yeah. I needed instant structure. Mm-hmm. Because it kept me from veering off my goal, which right. was to go back to work and stay sober. Mm-hmm. Although, there's always a little part of your brain that on the back burner that's still turned on for some reason, you're thinking about, as soon as everybody trusts me and i got a handle on what's going on, mm-hmm. I'm going to go fuck up. I'm going to go to Florida, Miami, uh-huh. and I'm going to get some coke, and I'm going to go to a strip club, <laughs> and I'm going to go in my motel room, and I'm going to have myself quite the picnic. <laughs> But I never did. I never did. It never happened. Right. And and when did that go away? When did that like the went away? It went away sort of after that. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I never I never felt the urge to drink. Uh you know, like I said, you don't need it to live. So I said it's it, like if I'm fixated so you on like bottles. Abs- you like abstinence then? I mean, I, 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 I did. Really, actually, I really did. No, yeah. I don't. I don't trust myself. Mm-hmm. I know myself. I had a very big pleasure center, mm-hmm. and anything could trigger it. And plus, I happened to be an obsessive. Yeah. Anyway, mm-hmm. whether I was alcoholic or not, mm-hmm. I also have obsessive behavior. So I mean, that locked on to. The alcohol thing. Right. But I'll tell you, I'm just gonna drink. If I find a type of orange juice I like, yeah. I'll buy six <laughs> vats of it. You know what I mean? Right, right. Because, could, yeah. because that's O C D kind of behavior. Right. Yeah. I, we have a caller here. Let's take it. Let's okay, see. I'm interested. Let's see what uh who's here. Yeah. Hi caller, what's your name? Hello. 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 Hi, caller. Hi, my name is uh Sophia. Hey, hey, is this Sarah? Yeah. Yes. Hi, hi, Sarah. I know your voice. Hi, Sarah. Say hi to Billy. Sophia. So that's okay. The, uh, yeah. Okay. This is another one of your first. <laughs> no. 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 If somebody can figure it out, I guess they can. But um. Wow. You have a question, or uh, you want to have for Billy? What? You have a question Billy, for Billy? Billy, your name. What happened is I just came out of a religious service, and uh, turned my phone on. It quickly got to the show and came in at the part where you were talking about cocaine. Yes. So your name is Billy. Yes. Well, um, so my, my history real quickly goes back to 1975. I'll just say that. But, and I, I really identified with you. And what was interesting about that for me was that you were mentioning, like, 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 this recent, the obsessive part. I have that. I was laughing. The way that I used to laugh in the beginning when AA was AA, uh, before treatment centers entered into it and those little terms, you know, came from God knows where. Um, Mm -hmm. But anyway, uh, that then then you would talk, say, for example, then then you talked about the specifics of your abuse by both sexes. See, I have that. 
repeat, right? And, and I think one of what, so I could talk also, I identified with that. I talked well, this for two years in therapy. I got more truth in the Rear end somebody. What? I hope you're not in a car talking about this. You're going to rear end somebody. <laughs> No, no, no! I'm parked in the in the parking lot of the Shinyuan Buddhist Temple. I just came from a service. Oh, so, that's where the religion. And everybody's church. gone. Oh, can yeah, you just reminded gone. me of something? Can I tell you? I learned more from yes. going to a bar mitzvah about spirituality huh? and God and everything else than I did my whole life in the Catholic Church. I was raised Catholic, and I was an altar boy back in the early '60s, and yes. uh, I knew the mass in Latin. And I saw yeah, me, yeah. a lot no, of holy hijinks, and I'm not going to get into them because I don't want people to think I'm anti-religion, which I'm not. Mother I just have a lot of spirituality. I believe that every, everybody could have a one-to-one connection to the universe if they wanted it, and that's kind of where I leave it. And I have a conscience, and my conscience, I listen to it so that it stays big and healthy, not shrinks away from not listening to it. Well, you, I... There's so many different ways that I could go on this. I just want to say one thing I've decided. I'm practicing this sort of focus. And if I could, I'm going to leave, you know, my history, the details of that out of this for now. Let's just Mm -hmm. say I have a long history there. And what what I'm dealing with now is that I oh, and by the way, I do have the food thing very, very deeply. It's probably one of the core issues. So I did have that all along. I also have the part where I was a child of an alcoholic, so I belonged in Al-Anon. And, and like you, you know, pretty much when I get like now, I'm in a period where I'm house cleaning. You should see that. I mean, it's like I'm a nut. I'm picking a little. Lint off the floor. Where if yeah, you but you know what? Though? The place two months you, ago. Controlling so, your the, hallways every hour and looking for something that wasn't there I, the last time you passed no, through. I I know That's what you're talking horrible. about. <laughs> I trust me. It'll hold you up though. It'll keep you from leaving the house. I had this thing where I'd leave the dentist. I know that. That's right. That and if I didn't straighten it, I felt like there was a rock in my shoe for the rest of the day. <laughs> but you've got to let a lot of stuff go. <laughs> and, 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 you know, and that's why I loved Al-Anon. There was a period then I had relapsed. I'm not, no, I don't like the word. I, I don't. Uh, actually, I went, moved forward. I, I, I had to. I really, because I had to. You just say you drank. Practice spiritual principles. I continued to practice the spiritual principles. I had had one of those white light experiences. I had a very low bottom at a really young age, and I had what was called a conversion experience. And it's taken me years to understand that it, it was, I mean, it was, I couldn't tell my story because it was in, there was so much physical phenomena involved, which is what it took for a thinker like me, I swear. Well, did you ever write it down, like keep a file? Oh, yes, I, I write every day. With all your thoughts in it? I write every day, but but this uh, iPhone is better because um, <laughs> I can't write fast enough or type fast enough. I but it. draw, you know, I, I, that's why I think I'm involved in other art forms. But what I want to say is that how I started to, you know, I was always aware that you didn't have to become a member. There was no commitment involved, which is very very good for addicts. Look, that's what attracted me. Ooh, powerlessness. You know. I mean, where it's kind of a trick, though, Sarah. I think that's a real trick, the way I see it now. What? I think I think it's a trick. You know, I mean, I agree with you. That's the only reason the way they ever got us is that, you know, they were like, oh, you know, you don't have to join. You don't really have to become a member. But then why do you think that you need to go there forever? Well, that's what I'm getting to my point, actually, which is that when I started to realize it was actually after I had a master's degree, I went to I finally went to school for what I wanted to, which was performance singing, okay? Mm. They actually let me in. I was this fat, middle-aged woman and with no money to give them from my from, from my parents for their scholarship fund, and, and I got in. So it was, like, unbelievable. And I didn't drink or use anything, not even cigarettes. And her, I want to say this about when all of it was taken away, finally, all of it, because I had always smoked cigarettes, or I became anorectic at one point, or relieving with the food, and so I could hide that. But in 1996, 
I became completely clean. And what what I ended what ended up happening were things like there was this one scene with my roommate where I ended up in my own clothes closet, sitting with the clothes. And I remembered that as a child going to stores, they used to take us shopping. My legs would be exhausted. I'd be crying. And or something would happen, and I would go at home too in the closet with the clothes. Was, and that is that's what I dealt with for the years that I was in school. Was when I started choice. to realize that I did no longer wanted to be or ever say anything about me be ever being an Alcoholics Anonymous ever, and that was the way it was started. It, it was supposed to be that. It was supposed to, we were supposed to protect each other as well as ourselves. And that, believe you me, there's a reason for it. But anyway, it was what I began to work in the real world. And I began to find that I had nothing to talk about except this stuff. Mm-hmm. Really. Mm-hmm. With people my well, age. You know, like, it, I had been the Now, all of a sudden, I was at gigs. And it was after the gig, and we were talking. And I had nothing to talk about except the dysfunctional fam, that stuff we talk about. And I, it was like a silent chill went through me. And I remember there were months that I had no one to talk to about it either, except my therapist, you know, and she didn't, she wasn't really helpful um, about it. Well, so can I ask I'm you still something? Dealing with, I'm still dealing with, uh, there seems to be something that I like better in learning right. how to be moderate with with all that we are, we are made, everything is biochemistry, everything is biochemical. And yeah. that there's something about being moderate. And I have learned that there are some things to do. For example, like if to drink a little bit of wine that you have to leave two days in between any of these mm-hmm. obsessive behaviors. See, I'm just starting to try things like this now because people like Monica and you and we're coming forward now. You know, there's... Yes. But but I don't but and I also really honor and respect people who don't want to drink at all. My thing is about I heard somebody say once a spiritual teacher of mine. Uh, actually, it was in a physical phenomenon seance on a recording, and this is what he said. He, he was from the lineage of Babaji and Yogananda, who were vegetarians. And someone, some woman asks, you know, is it better to be a vegetarian? You know, and you know what he said? He said, actually. It's more what comes out of your mouths at this point, you human beings, is way more important than what goes into them. And mm-hmm. I've never forgotten that. Well, there's for, a for lot of me, ways to approach. other people with that respect, and myself as well. Well, there's a lot of ways to approach. I want to thank you, thank you Sarah, for calling in. I have another caller we're going to take. Okay. Good. This is really great. This has been like one of the best shows. Thank you so much oh, for being so honest. Thank you. Really. I, I wish you nothing but the best that life has to offer, and I mean it. Thanks. I'd say, yeah, same here. Thank you. Thanks. All right, Sarah, I'll talk to you later. I'm going to put you back on hold, okay? Okay. 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 Bye-bye. Thanks for calling in. Okay, we have another caller. Hi, caller. You're on the, hi, caller. You're on the line. Who's this? Hi, this is Carolyn. How are you doing? Hi, Carolyn. How are you? I'm doing all right. Um, I have a question for Billy. Okay. And um, Billy, you yes. ready? Okay. Hi. Um, I was wondering what was um, either the most destructive or the most um, annoying thing for you to have to do in AA for you to progress with your recovery, at least in your mind, and as you experienced it. In AA? Yes, going to the AA meeting. got up and pulled a banana boat performance or something? (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean, I didn't know what to say. Like Sarah was saying, you know, you don't have a story. But the thing is, you work your way into honesty. No one's looking for a performance. That's a drag. You know, I mean, yeah. I'd rather listen to a broken man trying to piece it together slowly but surely. I remember on Thanksgiving, it was uh, it was Thanksgiving. I'll never forget. I was trimming the turkey. Everything was all set to go, the stuffing, and uh, I put it in the oven and I I uh, I started drinking, and I kept drinking, and all of a sudden I uh, I sort of passed out, kind of, 
And then what woke me up was my nostrils were stinging from the smoke was belching out of the oven. And 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 I, I made it in time and I opened up the oven but there was no turkey there. It was the, it was the cat. Oh my god. But I but I but I made it here tonight. The AA and I'm grateful to be here, you know, with all the rest of you, and uh, that's my story. And, you know, Carolyn, before the show, because Billy, you know, is over here in my house, he did uh-huh. another story like that that was, like, even worse than that. And, and uh, But, I mean, Billy, I don't know if this is what you mean, I'm not going to speak for Billy, but um, sure. Billy left after one year and hasn't had a drink in 26, so, he see, Carolyn, he just left. He looked around... I, I'll, I'm going to say this, and then I want you to answer it for it. But what I, Billy and I were talking about this beforehand, because even though I've known him 10 years, we never really discussed a lot of this, truthfully, for you guys who are listening. I knew Billy didn't have a drink, and it was only a few years ago that he said, oh, no, no, I don't go to meetings. I, I haven't been to meetings. And I was like, how interesting. And I was still attending meetings. But that, mm-hmm. you know, he, what he was sharing with me before, that he saw the sponsor, the way he was acting with his friends. Oh yeah. Yeah, just uh, tell, tell Carolyn. Well, it was my it was my roommate and uh you know, it's just really strange because uh he had a sponsor and the sponsor was I would say uh, you know, on the verge of becoming a little predatory and uh oh. and he was just t- telling the guy what to do in his marriage like how to get divorced and the other guy was coming from a very vulnerable place. Mm-hmm. And there are some that are control freaks that will step in, and whether they have good advice or bad, they come in in absolute authority because they feel yeah. powerful all of a sudden, yeah. and they have empirical evidence that the way they live life is far <laughs> better than yours. And you know what I wanted to ask, uh, and I was going to say to Sarah too, I was going to ask her what the part, what part did humor play in recovery? Because if if you don't know by now. I basically have to make a joke out of anything because if I don't God. laugh, I will cry. Well, and so exactly. I'd rather preempt trouble and and mm-hmm. defeat it with a sword that that is so common to me, so natural. Um, you know, I mean, you got to learn to laugh at yourself a little bit too. The, the AA meetings, everybody was a little little too dead yeah. serious, you know. And one guy was yeah. saying, I was thinking. I was thinking of committing suicide, you know, and and God forgive me, but I there was this old joke about the suicide hotline. You know, the guy goes, uh, "Yeah, hi, suicide hotline." I think I think I want to kill myself. You ain't got the balls. Oh, no. You know. Oh, really, why are you doing that? Somebody had wrote Popeye. They they wanted to hear you do. Here's the best guy. Is this guy right here? I just want to hear the world's best Popeye voice say he can quit spinach any time he wants to. Sorry, you want to know something? Came here to ask me some wisdom? I'll tell you. I can quit spinach any time I want. (laughs) (laughs) See, that's what we needed more of um, in the meetings, like, like you were saying. It was just way too serious on top of other things for other problems for other people. Right, right. Uh, humor is is one of the best healers that there is. Whether you're broken upstairs in your mind or or you're mm-hmm. broken, physically. Um, I happen to know a woman who was diagnosed with uh, colon cancer, and she reached out to everybody that she knew or used to know, and all she wants is to have someone tell her what they thought was funny mm-hmm. that happened to them that yeah. day, or send them. a a message or something, and it will help her recover. She knows in her heart of hearts that it will. Yeah, I mean, I just see Tony Robbins, and he told some amazing stories. One of them was that somebody wrote a book about that, about healing with uh, laughter, and uh, it was cancer. And, uh, you know, Carolyn, you're going to love this. So I was in this, you know, this the convention center with like 4,000 people, you know, for the Tony Robbins Unleash the Power Within that was so awesome. And there was this guy to the right. And he was like this skinny guy with like an old-fashioned, like raggedy Aloha shirt that looked like he picked it up at like the thrift store, and like you know, and dated jeans from like 25 years ago, and he had a cap, and he was like that total predator egg kind of looking dude, like sitting alone, oh. and like. 
points where you're like, you have to get up and you're dancing and people are jumping up and down to like great rave music. I mean, this is like tons of 40, 50 year olds, 30. And he never did it. Like he would stand there. And then with this, then you got to turn to the right and hug, you know, rub shoulders and turn to the left. And I would see him and I thought, I know he's in AA. I know it. He has that look. <laughs> of like a terrible predator. He's like got 25 years of sobriety. He goes to meetings in Manhattan Beach. Like I had this whole scenario for this Absolutely. guy. It was the weirdest thing, but I it was it was just. Well, some people's social lives. Um, there are people that their social life is going to gatherings. You know uh, yeah. what I mean? Where that are free yeah. and stuff. They're, they're datathons. Yes. What do they call them? I, I call them datathons. Right, <laughs> Not they, AA for <laughs> they go there for dating. Well, you say it like it's a bad thing. <laughs> well, <laughs> it is if if they're predators. Um, yes, of course. If that's the only if they're not alcoholic and they're going there just for to look for a date, um, yeah, it's not a good thing. No, and I I think that it the it, it lies in the stuff that they read in the beginning, um, the mm-hmm. stuff that they preach, you know, and it's gotten you know really really serious. I mean, I, I heard from a woman at Plaza when I was still going that um, there was an article in Playboy magazine in the you know, I think it was middle of the 2000s, or was it in the 90s? I can't remember. But she said, and she was from San Diego, that as soon as that article came out, there was this whole new type of male that came to the meeting, and they were not, because they were looking for nice, sober women. So, you know, they weren't the predatory. You know, they they, weren't they the were women. not like the predators that you and I were talking about, because I've actually yeah. heard of nice women who thought they were going to go meet, you know, thinking that they're going to go meet a nice guy in AA who's got his shit together and he's sober, not knowing <laughs> about the predators that are coming and, you know, violent the offenders. So we only yeah. have three minutes left, girl. I want to uh, thank you okay. for calling in, all right? I want to, I'm going thank to put you, you on so hold much. again. Thank you. Yes, thank, you, thank you for talking with me. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Okay. I, I Bye-bye. Yeah, go ahead. Billy wants to say something. Go if, ahead. If I could. Yeah. Um, one of the the best piece of advice I got when I was newly sober is mm-hmm. I there was religious counselors available to you if you wanted to talk to them at this institution, mm-hmm. this place. And I, I talked with a rabbi. And I had no experience with a rabbi. I right. don't know what to expect. And right. I came in and uh he he heard my story and he said, You know what it is? You haven't learned how to protect your inner child. He said, within all of us, mm-hmm. people with problems mm-hmm. have a broken little version, a mm-hmm. child of themselves mm-hmm. uh, inside. And and it's been trying to protect itself. And and you know what it has to do is uh, you the, your bigger self, your, your more uh, together self, stronger mm-hmm. self, mm-hmm. has to say to the little child inside, you know, I know that you can't handle this. I, I know, but I can. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you picture a, the two of you, you know, and it and it kind of makes you straighten up and it galvanizes you. Like I used to listen yeah. to bagpipe music whenever I had to go into like an important job or something because yeah. yeah. it would it, Celtic blood it would steal me, steal, yeah. steal me up right. for battle. Right, that's and, right. It gets you in a different and state. I used to listen to bagpipe music because. Yeah. Wow, wow. I want to thank um, Sarah for calling in. And then we have, oh, here's another caller. Uh, and we had Carolyn call in. And hi, caller. I can't hear you. Come in here. Hi, are you there? There you go. Can you hear yes. me now? I can hear you now. Please say it. Who's this? This is James Dandolfini. I want to say hi to Billy. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I want to tell you something. Okay, let me just tell you something. This is the last fucking Sunday dinner I ever have at this house. Hey, what's your language? I was going to take you out to some Baja Fresh. What's my language? English. What's yours? <laughs> How you doing, Billy? I'm, I'm good. What are you doing? No, I'm just hanging. Hey, Monica. This is one big happy family, huh? I just, I just love that you're on the show, man. I had to say hi to you. Yeah, it is, man. It really is. I, I just have to say hi, and I know there's... Big... 
God bless you, man. There's only like a few seconds left. Monica, I just wanted to say great. It's so great to have Billy on the show. And love you all. I love you all. We're going to go out soon. Um, I want everybody, thank you for calling in and blogging. Um, maybe we'll have Billy back because we only we covered half of the story. Um, and I wanted just to tell everybody, remember, it's empowerment, not powerless. And there's a new blog, uh, Leaving AA, that I started. There's another one, Stepping on Suicide, that Ryan started. And uh, Stinking Thinking is back up um, in archival form, so like a big encyclopedia, it's back. Uh, love you. Thank you so much for calling, and we'll see you next week. Thank you, Monica. All right. Bye, Bye everybody. Bye-bye. Take care, Billy. See you, Mike. Bye. Bye, Kevin Kev. Bye. Bye, Sarah. Bye, Carolyn, Gunther.